We thank you, Lord, that you are the true and living God, that besides you there is no other. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to send your Son to suffer and die, that we might have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, you've given us your word, that we might know you better. We might know you in an intimate and a personal way, that we might know your heart. So, Father, I pray as we go to your word right now, again, that your spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Is it echoing in here or is that me? Just me? All right. Probably where I'm standing. All right. Okay, uh, I know Pastor Bill mentioned in four weeks from tonight, Pottersville Ministry is going to be here. I want to encourage you. We should be inviting people to church anyway. Amen. Amen. But I want to encourage you that this is one of the most powerful evangelistic presentations I've ever seen in my life. I've seen it probably 15 times. I've wept every time I've seen it. And I've never heard, every time I see it, people are walking out the door saying, I should have brought so-and-so. If I had any clue it was going to be this powerful, I would have brought so-and-so. Now again, the gospel is always powerful, but certainly there's those that God have called to be an evangelist. And Mike is one. His wife used to sing on Broadway, and they got saved. And he's a master potter. And it's, it's hard to understand and imagine how a guy's making a pot and sharing the gospel. But I just want to tell you it's powerful. And so this coming Sunday, we're going to have about 2,000 of these invitations available. We're not messing around, okay? And so every bulletin is going to have about 10 of them in it. And when I, we did Life 2000 in San Jose when I was a youth pastor. I used to encourage the kids in the youth group to write the names of somebody they wanted to invite on this and then pray for them and give it to them. Because most people are going to come because somebody invited them. And so maybe there's somebody you've been, you know, holding back on inviting or, or sharing the love of God with. I encourage you to invite them to come. The flyer's pretty self-explanatory. But more important than all of that, be praying. Amen. Be praying that God would do a great work. We want to see Santa Cruz reach for the kingdom, amen? amen? Santa Cruz needs Jesus. I talked to Larry Elizondo today. Calvary Aptos is going to be joining us here that night. So just looking forward to a great time. Again, just uh, being encouraged. And it's not just for unbelievers. It's for those of us who know God already. It will be a great encouragement and exhortation to you as well. All right, that being said, Joshua chapter 7. Now, catch you up if you're new here you've never been here before or if you just don't remember what I taught you last week which is some of you um, Joshua as we come to Joshua we know that the children of Israel finally entered into the long-awaited land of promise the land flowing with milk and honey as I've said before the Old Testament has pictures of New Testament truths you want to find a New Testament principle in an illustration form look in the Old Testament And almost every doctrine you find in the New Testament, you're going to find an Old Testament picture, including numerous pictures of Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to this portion, we've seen that the Jordan River is a picture of being baptized in the Spirit. To catch you up, they were in Egypt, they were in bondage, they cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard their voice, He sent them a deliverer in the person of Moses. Moses came in, they performed the miracles, finally Egypt, the Pharaoh let the people go. It was that last, final plague that uh, brought Pharaoh to the end of himself when they had the Passover, and they took the blood of the lamb, they put it in the shape of a cross, and everybody who had the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, the angel of death passed over, and those who did not, their eldest child died. Now, That is a picture for you and us, that we were in bondage in Egypt, bondage to the world, bondage to sin. But through the shed blood of the cross of Christ, you and I can be delivered as well. The angel of death will not touch us if we have intimate fellowship with the Lord. As you've heard me say, it's it's important that we just not believe that there is a God or just have the lamb in our house in that sense, but they had to take the blood and apply it to the door or it was of no value. You and I can't just believe that there is a Jesus. He must be more than just our Savior. He must be our Lord. We must confess Him as Lord. Ask Him to come into our lives and to rule and reign. Now, as they left out of Egypt, they went over the Red Sea. The Red Sea, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, is a picture of water baptism. So they leave out of the bondage of the world. They have this public confession, in a sense, as they pass over through the Red Sea, being backed up and in trouble, and God delivers them. 
Now they get to the wilderness, and what should have been an 11-day journey turns into a 40-year death march because they disobeyed God. They rebelled against God. They didn't heed His word. The spies went into the land. They came back, said, 10 of them said, there's giants in the land. Two, Joshua and Caleb said, God will give us the land. Let's go take it. The people listened to the 10 instead of the 2. This is why we don't have a democracy in the church today. Amen? We don't vote on stuff. Jesus Christ is always right. Whatever he says goes, that's it, right? So what happened was they voted, didn't work out too well, and that entire generation spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they all died. Now the next generation, and Moses was not allowed to enter in because he got angry and he smote the rock when he's supposed to speak to the rock. Now that next generation is able to go in and Joshua is assigned to be their leader. Why Joshua? Because he was one of the two spies with Caleb who came back and said, God is faithful. Let's go get him. Now, as I've said before, Moses is a picture of what? The what? The law. Very good. Moses is a picture of the law. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. God wrote it through him, but he was the one who penned it. He's a picture of the law. But Moses could not bring them into the land of promise. Joshua did. Joshua's name is also in Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua is also transliterated Jesus. And so the law can't bring you into the promise, only Jesus can. And Joshua is a picture of our Savior bringing them into the land of promise. Now they've come into the land of promise, as we saw, and they finally cross over the Jordan River. Now the Jordan River is a picture or a type of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Experiencing all that God has for you. Not living that dry wilderness time of being a Christian, but really walking in the center of God's will. And I want to say this. I believe many Christians today are living a dry spiritual walk. Wow. <laughs> Things don't change. Amen. I believe many are living a dry spiritual walk. What do I mean by that? You've been delivered from bondage, but you're not experiencing all that God has for you. You've been delivered, you're born again, you're a new creation in Christ, you're going to heaven, but there's so much more that God has for you. And, and the real key is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, have there be less of you and more of Him in your life. And so they cross over the Jordan, a picture of the baptism of the Spirit, and as they enter in last week, the very first thing they ran into was the greatest foe they would face in all of Canaan, Jericho. Now if you remember that story, from last week, Jericho was this huge fortress. And it, right when they come into the land, you would think from a military strategy, you would go find the weakest tribe first and pick on them, right? You know, build up your, uh, your military training by picking on the smallest tribe. But God brought them instead to the greatest foe they would face in all of Canaan. And as they get there, they look out on Jericho, and the Lord had them spend the night. They're outside, they're looking out at this mighty fortress, and God is preparing them for the fact that again, though the enemies may be great, I'm greater. And the way that he proved it to them is he had them go out and do something that from the world's perspective would make absolutely no sense. But before he did it, somebody showed up to talk to Joshua to encourage him. Who was it? Very good. Nigel was paying attention to church. <laughs> Praise God somebody was. Remember there was a commander that showed up, a commander-in-chief, and we know that Joshua bowed and offered him worship, and he received the worship, and again, that proves that he again is Jesus Christ, because Jesus alone would receive the worship. An angel would never do that. So here's Jesus hundreds of years before he comes to earth. He's always been, because he's God. He's the creator of all things. He comes to earth to encourage Joshua in preparation to go in and fight this battle against Jericho. Now, one of the things I love about this is that the Lord shows up because what he's telling him seems impossible from the world's perspective. He's, you know, God has to show up sometimes because what he's going to tell us seems impossible. And he says to them, I don't want you to fight a battle. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a bunch of guys with shofars, ram's horns, and I want you to take the ark and I want you to march around the city for six days. Now I told you last week that the walls were 25 feet tall and they were as much as 20 feet thick and they had, you know, huge iron doors with brass, I mean, man, a unpenetrable from the world's perspective and from the world's perspective would it make any sense to march around on the outside of the wall i mean they could have thrown stuff at you they're going to pour stuff on us right we're going to walk by the wall now six days of walking by the wall last week i pointed out that that just showed them how mighty the fortress was for six days they walked by a 25 foot high wall and went man 
This is incredible. Wow, look at the city. There's no way from the world's perspective. And he told them not to say one word as they marched. They just went around and contemplated the power and the might of the enemy. And you know what? In God's perfect timing, he was going to bring the walls down. But he wanted them to see the size of the walls first so they would know the greatness of their God going forward. Sometimes we pray, we wonder why God hasn't answered our prayer. Why it's been a month or six months or a year or three years? Why am I going through the physical ailments? Why am I going through difficulty? Why are there struggles with my children? Why is it taking so long? You know what? Sometimes God wants us to see how great the enemy is so we will know how great he is when he wipes it out. He wants us to understand and have faith and trust in the Lord completely regardless of the size of the enemy. So we saw that on the seventh day, they blew horns. They marched around seven times. They blew horns and what happened? All the walls fell down. And they went right into the city. And there was a woman there by the name of Rahab who was delivered. You remember she was in chapter 2. They went. The spies went in. Rahab confessed her faith in the God of Israel. They told her to hang a red cord out of her window. We talked about the fact that she was a prostitute. Her window sill would have been painted red. And when they hung the red cord out of the window, what you would have seen in the wall of Jericho was a cross hanging down off the side. Man, I love the Bible. It just plain rocks. And so Rahab was delivered. If she stayed in her house, much like Passover, if they stayed in their house covered by the cross, as she stayed in her house covered by the cross, they were all delivered. Now, God blessed. Rahab was delivered. We saw that it said that God multiplied and blessed Joshua. And the word went out to all the people of Canaan, the greatness of Israel. You would think going to chapter 7, things are going to be great now. You would think, look, they fought the biggest enemy, the walls fell down, and they didn't pick up a single anything to make the walls fall. All they did was praise God and blow trumpets, and the walls fell down. You think the word might be out? You think people might be afraid now? And you know what? They should have great faith at this point. You know what's interesting, though? We're going to come to the next chapter. And I've titled this message, Quenching the Spirit. Because as we go into the Spirit-filled life, As we come to chapter 7, Israel's just won this great victory. They've witnessed God's mighty hand. Their greatest obstacle's been defeated. The walls have fallen down. Jericho's been destroyed. Not one Israelite died in the battle. Not one. Everybody delivered completely. Everything after this would seem to be a piece of cake in comparison. But it's in times like this we must be careful not to take our eyes off of God and become confident in ourselves. Sometimes we get delivered from the trial and we start to think we had something to do with it. Wow, I was really faithful there. No wonder God blessed me. All that prayer I prayed, I was so fervent. You start telling people, you know, here's how I prayed and this is why God answered. You ever met anybody like that? I have. Well, this is how I prayed and this is why I'm a prayer warrior, you know, and I pray this way and God answers my prayers. Okay, but you know what? We ought to be a little more humble than that. Amen? And there's a danger when there's been a great victory of falling into a great trap. We can start to take credit for what God has done, to cease to be desperate for God. Now before we get to the chapter, one last thing I want to point out. We've talked repeatedly about the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, He's either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with everybody. He's with the whole world. They call Him their conscience. It's the reason the world knows there's right or wrong. The Holy Spirit with us. But when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Goes from being out here to being in here. It says in in Luke that the Lord breathed the Holy Spirit into them. And so the Holy Spirit went from being here to being here. But then after the resurrection, He breathed the Spirit in them. Then He said, go and wait, and you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word there, again, you will receive power is dunamis. is where we get the word dynamite, dynamic. So the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Now, with, in, and upon. In the same way that there's a threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit, there's also three, I guess the word is negative reactions to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you can resist the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is with you, He's convicting you of sin, and you can resist it. I'm not interested. This is wrong, it's sinful, I don't care. I'm not going to turn to God, you can resist the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is in you, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve Him. He lives inside of you. You drag Him with you into sinful behavior, and you can grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit upon you, you can quench the Holy Spirit. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? You quench the Holy Spirit when you allow the flesh to take over. 
When you stop being desperate for God. When you stop staying in that place of constantly crying out. So within and upon, we can resist Him, we can grieve Him, and we can quench the Holy Spirit. So in tonight's text, we're going to see a very clear example of a move of God being thwarted by a sinful actions of just one guy. One guy in the camp of Israel is going to bring great harm to all of the people, as well as the prideful self-reliance of the children of Israel. This lack of brokenness and desperation is going to lead to selfishness, sin, pride, and faithlessness. We're going to first see a steady progression that leads to dryness spiritually, and then, praise God, the last half of the chapter, we're going to see the actions that we need to take to be refreshed. If you're here today and you're walking in the Spirit, here comes a warning not to fall into dryness. And if you're here today and you're walking in the dryness of, of, the, of this life and you don't feel like you're you know, spiritually filled at this point, there's going to be an exhortation for you as well on how to be refreshed in the Spirit. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the path of progression to spiritual dryness, beginning with a disregard for God's command, a lack of godly fear. Look what it says in verse 1. Of chapter 7. The first word there is but. Now as a youth pastor, I would say this was a big but. And it is. Because what has just happened? Jericho, the walls have just fallen down. They've just had a mighty victory. God has been faithful to His word. They've seen the mighty hand of God at work. And the next verse, at the last verse of the previous chapter says, So the Lord was with Joshua, His Fame spread throughout all the country, but in the middle of all that, in the middle of God moving in a mighty and a powerful way, God had gone before them, a time of great rejoicing and blessing. The Lord is with them. In the midst of all of it, there was one who elevated his own desires above the clear command of God. Look what it says. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So he took of the accursed things. In chapter 6, last week, verse 18, the Lord said this through his word, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel, a curse, and trouble it. Now what were the accursed things? These were things associated with the demonic and debased worship and practices of the Canaanites. What did he tell them to do when they went in to, to uh, Jericho? Wipe them all out. Now remember, the gold and the silver and the brass were to be brought back and used for the worship of the Lord. All of that given to the Lord. Everything else destroyed. What were the people of Israel to take from Jericho? Nothing. Don't take anything. He knew the temptation would be there. He knew there would be idols and things that were there that would be tempting to take back with them. He knew if they brought them back that they would bring a curse upon the people. So he said, don't touch any of the cursed things. Don't touch them. Don't bring them back. You'll bring a curse upon your people. Now it's interesting that Achan's name means trouble. And that's exactly what that guy was. Nothing but trouble. Can you imagine naming your kid trouble? You're just asking for it. Here's my son trouble, my daughter whiner, and my you know, I mean that's not good. Don't want to name your kids that stuff, right? I'm glad there's no Judases in our church or any of that kind of Amen. So the silver and gold are to be brought back, and here's Achan. And he's going to be aching before this chapter's over because he lacks godly fear. And look what, he, look what it says here. That the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now wait a minute. We're going to see as we go through the text how many people break this law, this commandment of God. One. But the anger of the Lord is against all of the children of Israel. And you might say that just doesn't seem fair. One person blows it and God's mad at everyone? Why? That just doesn't seem right. Well, you know why? Because the sin of one man brings the wrath of God upon the entire nation because the entire nation is one body. 
You know, if, you're, if you go out with your right hand and steal something, it's not only your right hand that goes to jail. <laughs> Amen? My hand did it. Just cut my hand, put my hand in jail. No, you all, your whole body goes. Amen? And the truth is, the same is true for us. And I'm exhorting us as a body that I have got a deeper passion for prayer than I've ever had. And as I'm praying, and my heart is so desiring and burdened for the loss of Santa Cruz County, but may it start with a personal desire in each of our hearts to be filled with the Spirit of the living God and not to walk around and just take sin lightly. Now, it's by grace that we're saved, not of works that any man should boast. Amen? We don't work so we can get to heaven. But I want to say this. Since we've been born again, we ought to live holy lives. We don't live holy so God will love us. We live holy because He loves us. Because he knows what's best for us. Holy living is not a, you know, a black robe with a wheelbarrow full of rules and heaven at the end. Oh, yeah, I'm serving God, walking in holiness. That's not it. You know what? He loves me. He knows what's best for me. So walking in holiness is what's best for my life. It'll make my life most fruitful. It'll make my marriage the best it can be. I'll be the best dad I can be. And, you know, the best neighbor, everything. And the best light to a lost and dying world. So living a holy life is not some legalistic burden upon me. It's the fruit of someone who's in love with Jesus. Amen? That's the way we ought to respond. And so he knew that a little sin, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. And he says, I'm angry against all the children of Israel because there's sin in the camp. Now, no doubt, at least a few people knew about it. And we'll talk about that as we get to the end of the chapter. But Achan means trouble. And his selfish and godless actions would bring great consequences, not only upon himself, but all of the children of Israel. And here's the point for you and I. Our sin and rebellion will always affect more than just us. When we sin, it not only impacts my walk with God, but it impacts people around me. If I sin, it's going to impact my wife. If I sin, it's going to impact my children. As your pastor, if I walk in rebellion and sin and I'm not repenting over it, it's going to impact this church. That's a fact. And the same is true here that Achan's unrepentant sin was going to have an impact on all of Israel. Israel could not be defeated by the Canaanites, but they could defeat themselves by disregarding God's commands. They couldn't be defeated by the enemy on the outside, but they could be defeated by their own fleshly desires on the inside. And we see here, so in this beginning of quenching of the Spirit, a path to spiritual dryness, number one, the way you start to become dry is by having a disregard for God's command, lacking a godly fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And you know what, as Christians, we need to stop making excuses for our sinful behavior and start repenting instead. Amen? Amen? Yeah, but you don't understand, my boss is a jerk, and I have to be this way. No, you don't. Yeah, but my neighbor, well, you don't understand the details of my, but my circumstances, nice try. Here's the thing, guys. We want to make excuses for our sin. We want to water down. And I'll tell you what, one of the things that just absolutely fries me is when people try to water down the Bible. Well, the Bible only says it twice. How many times has it got to say it? Well, it's not in red, so it doesn't really count, or it's not, you know... The Bible says he elevates his word above his name. And he says it for a reason. We're not take any line, any word, any letter lightly. Amen? And this is a road to spiritual dryness. When we start to downplay the word of God, we start to condone a little bit of sin in my life. It's not a big deal. After all, I'm under grace. It's by grace I've been saved. And so I'm all right. And it doesn't matter if I have this little sinful area of my life. It's not a big deal. You know what? It's a big deal to God. And it's just causing you to miss out on all that God has for you. It's causing you to miss out on the great things God wants to do with you. So not only a a disregard for God's command, but second of all, a lack of desperation. Starting to have confidence in your flesh. Look at verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now, Ai means heap. And we know we're going to see here that it's an isolated little city up in the hills of Jericho, above Jericho, about 15 miles away. So it means heap or dump. This is a little dump of a city. We just took care of Jericho. Now we go up and there's a little dump of a city 15 miles away. Piece of cake. 
I mean, 25-foot walls, 20 feet thick, a huge army. We blew trumpets. The walls fell down. We're going to take care of AI. No problem. See, here's what happens when sometimes God does great things in our life when we're in a place of worship and desperation. We can start to, again, take credit for it and stop being desperate for Him and think, well, man, I've already taken care of this. This is a smaller enemy. This will be a piece of cake. So we see here that what happens, this dumpy little place, it's the next place in line. It's nothing like Jericho. Verse 3, And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not be weary, all the people there. Do not, weary all, do, not be, do not weary all the people there. Don't take all the people there. For the people of Ai are few. Now, what kind of eyes are they using? Spiritual ones or physical ones? The Bible says they'll not walk by faith, not by sight. Now they're walking by sight, not by faith. Because if they had used sight eyes with Jericho, they would have run away. They would have said, there's no way. But they walked by faith. They trusted the Lord. They marched around. The walls fell down. Now it's a little tiny foe, and they go, oh, these guys are little. I don't even need to bother God with this. Who needs to pray? It's not that big of a deal. You know what? The Bible says, pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And I believe God wants us to pray about everything. 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 What kind of car should you drive? Yeah. Where, where should I sit? Every, everything. Pray. Pray. Does God have his highest in every aspect of our life? There's not a doubt in my mind. So these spies walk up and they come down and they, they say, hey, not, not much there. Now remember the spies we saw, the previous spies we had seen, when, jo- when Joshua went in, saw giants in the land. They rejected God's word and his promise of victory. Now these guys see a small army and they start to trust in their own strength. Hey, we can take care of this. Shouldn't be an issue for us. Joshua had been faithful to the word when he faced the giants, but now he's going to forsake the word because the enemy is small. Now he's going to think it's not a big deal. You know what, guys? We need to pray just as much about the little areas we struggle with in our lives as the huge areas we struggle with. You need to pray about them all. Don't think, well, I can take care of this little thing in my flesh. It's not a big deal. Without him, we can do nothing. nothing. And nothing in the original language means nothing, okay? So we can do nothing without him. And so Joshua is going to fall into the trap. So not only do we have Achan, who's gone outside of God's will, disobeyed God's word, and brought back some stuff, as we're going to see, but now Joshua is going to fall into the trap of listening to men instead of seeking God. And look what happens in verse 4 and 5. So about 3,000 men went up from there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Here's the thing. There was sin in the camp that needed to be dealt with before they went into battle. But they never found out because they never sought God. You know, Joshua, back in Numbers 27, was told as... God was raising him up to be the next leader. He was to get divine revelation from God through the priest Eleazar before he went into any battle. So that means before they went to Ai, he was supposed to go to the high priest and say, let's seek the Lord. What would the Lord have us do in Ai? And instead he saw a little tiny puny little, oh, it's nothing. Send 3,000 people up there and just wipe them out for us. And so there's sin in the camp. God will not bring victory while there's sin in the camp. So they go up there without the Lord on their own, and how does it work out? The little tiny enemy starts chasing them down the hill, and 36 people die. They fought Jericho, nobody died. They fight the little dump city, and 36 people die. Achan, thanks a lot. Achan's sin is now bringing consequences upon the children of Israel. They fight a battle against a smaller enemy. And they're unable to beat them. Because we see that not only did Achan rebel, but now Joshua quenches the spirit by not seeking the Lord before going into battle. He starts to trust in his flesh, and he quenches the spirit. He starts to trust in his own ability, and he misses out on the hand of God. If he had sought the Lord, there's not a doubt in my mind, he would have revealed to him the sin of Achan, and it would have been dealt with. The Bible says in Galatians, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, do you now perfect yourself in the flesh? 
You started in the spirit, you saw the mighty hand of God, you saw God do great and awesome things, and now you're going to try to finish it up in the flesh. Now because the enemy's small, oh, I can, I got, God, I got this one. Take the night off. I'll take care of this one for you. And I'll just do it because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a man of God after all, and, you know, I, you just used me pretty mightily, and you chose me, right? So let me just go down and take care of this. And look what happens. In arrogance, the enemy, in their own energies, in their own insights, in their own abilities, went out and they got their clocks cleaned. Without him, we can do nothing, okay? So this hidden sin and this self-reliance has led to defeat. Never underestimate how much damage the sin of one man can do. Abraham disobeyed, he almost lost his wife. David disobeyed and counted his men and 70,000 people died. The sin of one man can cause great problems. Jonah went in the opposite direction that God told him to, and the entire ship almost ended up at the bottom of the ocean. Why? Because the sin of one man can have great impacts. Hidden sin of even one defiles the whole body. So quenching the spirit, the path of progression to spiritual dryness. Number one, disregarding God's word. And number two, becoming confident in your own flesh, lacking desperation. So, again, a lack of godly fear, a lack of godly desperation. Disregarding God's word, and again, putting confidence in your flesh. It's not about the strength of your opponent, but the help of the Lord. And if he's not on your side, you're in big trouble. Now look how Joshua responds. It's going to go now to a loss of faith. Joshua, this mighty man of God, is going to lose his faith. Look what it says. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell down on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. This mighty warrior went into a position of mourning. Mourning, they would rip their clothes, and they poured dust on their head, and he's in mourning. Why? Because they went out and they lost this battle. 36 of his people have died when they shouldn't have. The battle's not been won. Joshua is starting to lose faith. Had he humbled himself before the battle, he wouldn't have had to humble himself after it. If we would humble ourselves before the Lord, before we go through the trials of life, we wouldn't have to humble ourselves after. Humble now or humble later, now is always better. Amen? Amen. We can do it now and avoid a lot of heartaches, a lot of trials, a lot of difficulty. Remain humble, remain desperate, and watch God do great and awesome things. Look at verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt in the other side of the Jordan. What happened to Joshua? Wow. This is the guy who went over when the ten spies said we can't win. And he said, they're like grasshoppers. We'll smoke them. This was Mr. Faith. This is the guy that said, God's for us. Let's go get them. And now... 36 guys died because he was disobedient, and he's like, God, why did you do this to us? Now, I know no one else here has ever done that. You disobey, and then you blame God. Anybody but me ever done that? If your hand's not up, you're lying now, okay? We disobey God, and then there's consequences, and then we blame God. Man, why did you let this happen to me? When I was a youth pastor, I can't tell you how many young men would sit across the table from me with their girlfriend who's pregnant, blaming God. I don't think God's the problem here. This is not God's fault. You did this. Wait till her dad gets a hold of you. And too often, that's what we want to do. And here's exactly what Joshua's doing. Joshua, it got in his flesh didn't seek the Lord like he was supposed to, just sent some guys up there to take care of it. The battle's been lost, and now he's questioning God. He ought to be looking within. Instead of questioning God, we ought to say, Lord, is there something I've done? Am I out of your will? Lord, search my heart, O God. Showing me any wicked way. What have I done? Search the camp, O God. Not, oh God, what have you done? Oh God, what have we done? What have we done? How do we miss you, Lord? What can we do different? Don't act faithless and blame God. Again, talking like the faithless generation that had gone before them. Prayer should have been, again, search my heart. 
Note the progression. You disregard God's word, a lack of godly fear. Then you have a lack of desperation, so you start putting putting confidence in your own flesh. And then before you know it, you have a lack of faith, and you start questioning and blaming God. Guys, we should never be questioning God about anything. Cracks me up people say, when I get to heaven, I got some questions for God. You ever heard that before? I say, bro, you're going to be flat on your face. You ain't asking no questions. Amen? (laughs) We get in the presence of Almighty God, we're going to be like this. Amen? Because He's God, we're not, and... We don't ask him. We just say, yes, Lord. Amen? Yes, Lord. Not, what are you doing, Lord? Then he's not Lord. Okay? Now, we see here, why have you done this? Why do we dwell on the other side? Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Now, here's the result of faithlessness and walking in spiritual dryness. God's name is harmed. When we walk in faithlessness, we're a poor testimony. When we walk spiritually dry, God's name is harmed. If we're supposed to be born again Christians, new creations in Christ, and we walk around whining all the time, do people want to know our God? Man, you just whine so much. Tell me more about your God. It's a poor testimony. And he says, Lord, because the people are running, what's going to happen to your name? And this is a good point. What's going to happen to your name? What's going to happen to your name because we've become faithless? When we have hidden sin, when we're no longer desperate, when we act according to our flesh, when we become faithless, those around us are harmed and our testimony before the name of God is destroyed. And that's exactly what's happened here. We see this path to dryness. How does it start again? Rejecting God's word. Denying God's word. Coming to a place of being confident in ourselves. Not being desperate for God. We then become faithless and now our testimony is blown. Now here's the good news. The rest of the chapter talks about the road to refreshment. Now that, okay, we've blown it. It's a mess. Is there anything we can do? Yes. And guess what? It's not going to be easy. Because let's begin in looking at this road to refreshment. How does it start? First thing we need to do is understand the real reason for defeat. It's my sin, not God's unfaithfulness. Amen? It's my fault, not His. Look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! That's an exclamation point in your Bible, right? So God's speaking to Joshua. Joshua's on his face before God. Seems like a good place to be. And the Lord says, Get up! Basically what he's saying is you're going to have to face up to your problems. You're not crying out for me to be more faithful. You need to face up to the fact that you need to be more faithful. Don't pray and cry out and tell me what I need to change. Lord, what have you done? Your name's being harmed. Lord, fix this. You go, no, 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 no. You fix it. You need to get right with me. I didn't blow it. You did. Amen. Now, he's going to help us when we come with that heart. But too often we're praying and telling God what he needs to fix when it needs to start here. Lord, fix me. Now that's a prayer you would have heard. Lord, I've blown it. Help. God would have said, okay, Joshua, right where I want you. Not laying on your face. Lord, be more faithful to us. We need, oh, no, no, no. God's faithful. We're faithless. So he says, get up. Face the problems. Not God's heart, but Israel's heart that needed to change. Why do you lie thus on your face? Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned. There's the problem. Problem again, not God's faithlessness or going back on His promises, but Israel's sin, deception, and rebellion. It wasn't God's fault. It's not God's fault when we reap the consequences of our sin. And he says, And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they also put it among their own stuff. You might think you're getting away with your sin, but God knows. You might get over on man, you'll never get over on God. Your sin will surely find you out. Amen? Here's Achan thinking he got over. As we're going to see, he stole some stuff, he's hidden it, nobody knows. God does. And not only that, look what's happening to your people because of your sin. Your sin impacts more than you, 
36 people are dead. The people in Ai think your God is nothing because they chased you down the hill. The word is now spreading throughout Canaan that the children of Israel ran away from the dump city. You ran away from the dump city. God's name is being harmed. Why? Because Achan was more worried about himself than being faithful to God. He's more concerned about what he could get for himself. And the problem, again, was not God's faithlessness, but it was the rebellion of man. The sin of one man had infected all of Israel. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And acceptance, I want to say this, acceptance and tolerance of sin is just as bad as the sin itself. There's so many places, so many churches today that are so worried about keeping their numbers up and so worried about being seeker-sensitive and fitting in with the world that they'll never bring out sin, period. I know pastors in town, I've had lunch with them, that will never let the word sin come out of their mouth at church. Or talk about the cross because it's offensive to people. Guys, you're all sinners. And we need the cross of Christ to be saved. Amen? And the sad part is that we want to water it down to the point that we don't offend anybody and they'll be really comfortable in their sin headed to eternal separation from Almighty God in hell. Real comfortable there, but they go to church every week. It's so sad to water down the truth. And the same thing is here as he's saying, look, you've deceived God. The sin is your problem. Your sin will surely find you out. And we cannot be tolerant of sin. Now, guys, that doesn't mean walk around being sin inspectors. Amen? Right? Right? Go over. You know, right? And people do that. People want to be running around telling everybody how much sin they got in their life. Right? Let's start looking in the mirror. Amen? That's a full-time job for me. Dealing with me. Now, at the same time, if someone's in total rebellion against God, they're very open about it, and they don't care, we need to address it. In love, Matthew 18, amen? Go to them one-on-one, not telling the whole church, not gossiping. Put your arm around them, take them out to lunch, say, bro, I've seen this in your life, and man, this needs, you know, I'm concerned. Can I pray for you? How can I minister to you? Not to go and destroy them, but to restore them, amen? And so when sin is in the camp, it needs to be dealt with. And the same is happening here with Achan. And it's going to be dealt with. Verse 12. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Until they dealt with the sin in their camp, Israel would not win one battle. They would not be able to fight with any army of any size until they walked in obedience to the Lord. Only in obedience would there be blessing. Now, for you and I, we live under the new covenant. We've been saved by grace, not by works. But our fellowship is hindered by our sin. If we just disregard God and we just go for it in sin, and hey man, I got the get out of hell free card in my wallet, I'm going to live like the world, I don't care. Well, guess what? Dryness, fruitlessness, no intimacy with God. That's a fact. It just is. You're not going to have a testimony. You're going to be like Joshua and like Achan. But when you walk in the center of God's will out of love for Him, not because you're perfect and holy and you do things right, but Lord, you do things right. And Lord, I trust you. And Lord, I'm pursuing you. And Lord, my life belongs to you. And Lord, I'm going to stay desperate for you. That's a man or a woman God can use. And so we see this picture here that they're not going to win any battles till it's dealt with. This hidden and unconfessed sin had grieved and quenched the work of the Holy Spirit. And so too, it is, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we have hidden and unconfessed sin. And again, as I said before, your sin may seem to be hidden, but be sure and know that your sin will surely find you out. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. How'd that work out? They held back part of the gift. Nobody knew, supposedly. And then they got called in, and how they dropped dead. God was pretty serious about that. They dropped dead. Why? Because they held back on what really belonged to the Lord. And it's interesting, that's the same sin of Achan, because he's going to, as we're going to see, he took some of the gold and silver, and that was to be dedicated to the Lord. And they were holding, he was holding on part of what belonged to the Lord, and he had taken some things that were dedicated in the service of idols. 
And so he's got idolatry in his home, and he's taking things that belong to the Lord, and he's not serving God, and now the consequences are going to be heavy for Achan, along with all the people around him. I want to say this too. If you're here tonight and you've been getting away with sin for quite a while, and you think, well, God's, I've been doing this for years and God's never done anything to me. God's grace, God's mercy is not God's permission. Amen? We need to get right with the Lord. Pastor Dave, you're preaching legalism. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you that sin should never be acceptable in our lives. We're not going to be saved because we do better. And if you stop the sin you're currently involved in, God's not going to love you more than He already does. But your life will be more fruitful. And you won't deal with the consequences of your sin. It's time for us to get the sin out of the camp. So the road to refreshment. Understand the real reason for defeat. Our sin, not God's faithlessness. Then we see verse 13 through 15, the call to be sanctified. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the cursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, shall be brought according to the tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households, and the house for which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. How does God feel about sin in the camp? He doesn't say, bring them out and have a good talking to them. You know, put them into a 12-step program and get them better. You know, go, go have them go down and learn, the, you know, and put them halfway. No. Burn them. Whoa. Why is God so serious about this? Because he's serious about sin in the camp. He's serious about things being brought in that are going to defile the rest of his precious children. It breaks his heart. As long as the sin went undealt with, they would be unable to stand against their enemies. And while this is sobering to realize that a body in sin has no power before its enemies, it's also wonderful to know that once our sin is dealt with, that the power of God can flow through us once again. If you're struggling, if you're fruitless, if you're dry in your walk, is there sin that needs to be confessed tonight? Is there an area you've been struggling with that only God knows? You need to get right with the Lord before you leave. Amen? Let's get right with the Lord. You know what? Let me say this. Nobody else really cares about you as much as you think they do. That's a fact. We, we think everybody's thinking about us. Everybody's looking at me. They're all wondering what I'm dressing. They're all wondering. No, they're not. They're looking at themselves. They're th I'm always on my mind, amen? I'm always thinking about me. How does this impact me, right? I mean, that's how we think. And, you know, too often we're afraid of getting right with God because we're afraid of what people might think. Forget about what people think. Worry about what God thinks. Don't worry. Who cares what people think? It doesn't matter. won't matter on Judgment Day. Amen? And it doesn't matter if you want to live a fruitful life now. Hey, guys, we're all sinners. Amen? So we shouldn't be surprised if someone says, I'm a sinner. Well, duh. We all are. And too often we're so worried about what other people think that we're afraid to get right with God because if I raise my hand to get right with God, they're going to know I'm a sinner. Well, we already know. Amen? We already know. My heart would be, I've been praying all day, Lord, may we leave this place getting right with you in every aspect of our lives. That doesn't mean we're going to be sinless, but as Christians, we ought to sin less. Amen? And we ought to have a desire for holiness, and we ought to not take sin lightly in the camp. God, we want you to do a great work here. Lord, we give you our lives completely. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Achan's sin would be dealt with, but it had to be the nation, again, had to be, or the nation would not be able to be blessed once again. Achan thought it was okay, because nobody, no man had figured it out, but God knew. You might think it's okay. No man, no woman, nobody's figured it out. God knows. God knows what's in your heart. God knows the thoughts you have. God knows. And you know what? He loves you. And He wants to restore you. He wants to refresh you. The road to refreshment. Verse 16 through 21. Our sin must be brought into the light. Look what it says here. 
So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Now imagine being Achan when this happens. All right, all the people come out. There's sin in the camp, and God's going to show us who it is. Oh! I bet there was more than just Achan who was nervous that day. Amen? So all the people come out, and it first falls to the tribe of Judah. The other 11 tribes are like, okay, you know, let's get out of here. Quickly. Well, not only does it fall to Judah, but then he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought the household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. You are busted. Your sin will surely find you out. You ever been just so busted like that? You thought you got away with it, and then you get like called into the principal's office? We saw you. Two teachers saw you. Oh, thought I got away with it. God saw, amen? God has a way of making sure somebody sees. You ever notice that? Your sin will surely find you out. And so, sure enough, Achan, they're just, okay, this, this tribe, oh, this, poor, oh, this family, oh, this small family, oh, looking at his brothers, I hope one of you guys blew it, right? Achan, oh, it's me. You know what? Our sin needs to be brought out into the light. Achan's sin had to be brought out into the light and dealt with or they would never win another battle. So we see that one of the part of that road to refreshment is our sin must be brought out into the light. Verse 18. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done and do not hide it from me. Joshua grieved and brokenhearted over his sin. Again, this picture of grieving of the Holy Spirit. And he says to him, Give God the glory. Confess it. You know what that tells me? When we confess our sin, it brings glory to God. Isn't that good? When we confess our sin, it brings glory to God. Because it shows that we have faith that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When we come with a confessing heart. And so he says, confess. And Achan confesses. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now notice this. He calls them spoils. Spoils were actually what a soldier earned when he fought a battle, he was able to take the spoils of war. But these were not spoils. They were accursed and dedicated things. Some of them were accursed and were to be destroyed, and others were dedicated to the Lord. So he has a way, even in his confession, of kind of changing things to make it sound not so bad. You know, I was one of the warriors up there fighting the battle, and I took some of the spoils of war. No, you didn't. You took some things that were accursed and things that were dedicated to God that you should have not taken. We do the same thing today by changing the names of our sin to make us feel better. I misspoke. No, you didn't. You lied. You didn't misspeak. You lied. I'm having an affair. No, you're committing adultery. Amen? Doesn't an affair, you've heard me say, it sounds like a catered affair, right? I mean, no, it's not an affair. It's adultery. I'll tell you, the worst one of all is I'm gay. Gay means happy. That word's changed. You ever watch movies from the 50s? I'm feeling so gay. I've seen him say, I'm thinking, man, it's a little different today when you say that, right? <laughs> you're not gay, you're not, it's a, it's, you're sodomite. You're a homosexual, you're outside of God's will. Now, the Lord loves the adulterer, he loves the liar, he loves the sodomite, he wants to see them all saved, amen? amen. All of them. But we want to change the wording so we feel better about our sin. And that's what Achan's doing. Well, it was the spoils. And I just went in and got some stuff that, you know, and I probably shouldn't have taken it, but I was up there fighting and there were the spoils of war. Notice the transition here in sin. I saw, I coveted, 
I took. Sin begins with your eye, doesn't it? You see something. You lust in your heart. You, you desire something. And, you, and that, you know what? This is the, I really believe this. This is one of the biggest ways that the enemy gets into our life is through, right here through our eyes. We look at something and I throw my wife's catalogs away so she doesn't covet. You know what I mean? It's amazing how you, you need something you didn't know you needed until you saw a picture of it. Isn't that true? I really need this. What is it? I'm not really sure, but it does this, you know. And we covet through our eyes. So he saw, and then he coveted, and once he coveted, he responded. What did he do? He took it. Adultery starts with lust in your heart. You desire, and then you take. You steal, you look, you desire, you take. We see this work, this transition of this sinful behavior. The Bible says, if you're right, I offend you, what? Pluck it out. The Bible says also, I will put no unclean thing before my eye. We're not to see how much temptation we can take. We're to avoid it altogether. I was talking to a young man who just seen some movie, and I won't go into details. I'm not, but he was just saying, yeah, it was filled with nudity, and it was filled with swearing, and they cursed God, and it was out of control, and the violence was bad. But it was in context. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you know, they, they were fighting in a war. Of course there's going to be swearing. And of course, you know, I said, bro, that desensitizes you to sin. He goes, no, it just makes me realize how bad sin is. Oh, no, it doesn't. You don't need to see it to know it's sinful. Amen? I don't need to look at pornography to know it's wrong. I don't need to watch vile, wicked things to say, oh, now I know what to avoid. I don't need to watch a bunch of people worshiping the devil. Oh, okay, now I understand. I don't need to do that. I need to be simple concerning that which is evil. Amen? Guard your eyes. And what did he do? Instead of guarding his eyes, he saw the gold. Ooh. Nobody's here. You know, Satan's going, get it, get it, get it. Oh, covet, covet. Now I want it. Oh, I'm going to take it. Nobody saw. I'll bury it in my tent. And you know what? It not only brought harm to Israel, but man, it's going to bring heavy-duty harm to his family. Last thing in, in, in the road to refreshment is, to re, is removing the sin from your camp. So we need to understand the real reason for the defeat. It's my sin, not God's. We need to understand the call to be sanctified, set apart. We need to bring our sin out into the light before the Lord. And we need to remove the sin from our camp, not take it lightly. Look at verse 22 and 23. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in the tent with its silver under, under it. They took them from the midst of the tent, and they brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, and laid them before the Lord. So Achan's sin is now open before every person, every child of Israel. Didn't have it long. The thing he coveted, he wanted so bad, how long did he get to keep it? Not very long. You know, it's, been, it's, it's said that sin is pleasurable for a season. You know, if sin didn't have some pleasure to it, we wouldn't do it. Right? Sin's fun for a minute or two. The, the closer you are with the Lord, the less fun sin is. Have you ever noticed that? Spiritual maturity, for me, is a distance between the time I sin and I'm convicted. The closer I get to the Lord, it becomes like that, right? There's no joy to sin. You say, oh, God's already giving the Holy Spirit head slap, right? What are you doing? Oh, man, I did, all right? You're coming this is no fun. There are times when early in your walk and you sin and you just go for it. Yeah, this is great. And then consequences and, oh, this isn't so fun anymore. And here's Aiken. Had the stuff in his tent. A lot of enjoyment you get having stuff buried in your tent. It was so fun having that stuff buried in my tent under the sand. It was great. Worried all the time it might get windy and get uncovered and, you know, putting stuff on top of it. That's what sin's like, isn't it? Got to keep covering it up. Put another blanket on that. Move the chest over there. Put it on top of it. No, I can't let anybody find it. And all the while, God goes, I know it's there. I seen it. I saw when you took it. I knew you were going to take it before you knew you were going to take it. Amen? That's God. Now look what happens. Then Joshua, verse 24, and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, 
all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. Here's what's interesting. Achor and Achan both mean trouble. They brought him to the valley of trouble. They brought trouble to the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why have you achened us? Why have you troubled us? Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. How does God feel about sin in the camp? How does God feel about sin that we hide? How does God feel when we look and we see and we covet and we take and we bury it and we hold on to it and we make it more important than our relationship with the Lord? And here's the sad part. Who died? Achan? Who else? His sons and his daughters, his whole family, everything that belonged to him was stoned and then burned to death. Amazing, they had to be killed twice. Here's the point. They wanted to make sure everybody knew how God felt about hidden sin. Let everybody know how God feels about taking things that are dedicated to Him and using them for your own glory. Let everybody know how God feels about you taking things that are accursed and should be destroyed and bringing them into your home. How does God feel? Can't happen. Wipe them out completely. Stoned and burned. When you, when, when you sin and you seek to cover it, you bring your whole family down. You know what? I think the sons and daughters probably knew he had it. They all lived in the same tent, right? He goes into a tent, starts digging a big hole. You think someone might figure it out? And you know what? That's what happens with a lot of hidden sin. We force our family to share in it. Because they see it. They see that person you pretend to be at church and the person that you are at home. They see that person you pretend to be in public and then how you treat your wife or your spouse or your children or how you respond to people when you're driving in the car and nobody can hear you. They know. And you bring them into your sin. They have to witness it. And it has an impact on them. And this had a huge impact on Achan's family. Last verse. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of anger Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor, or the Valley of Trouble, to this day. This heap of stones, every time somebody walked by it, what do you think they thought? Don't ever touch God's stuff. And don't take any of the accursed things, and if God says it, we want to obey. Hey kids, see that pile of stones? We want to honor God. Amen? It was a constant reminder. So, quenching the Spirit. The path to progression, to spiritual dryness. Disregard God's word. Make God's word less in your life. Have a lack of desperation. Start being confident in your abilities. That will lead to a loss of faith, and then you will be spiritually dry and have very little impact on the world around you. But here's the good news. There's a road to refreshment. Where does it start? By first understanding that it's my sin, not God's faithlessness that got me here. Amen? Second of all, Understand the call to be sanctified, to remove the sin from the camp. Now bring the sin out into the light. You know, Satan never wants you to bring your sin out into the light. Because he knows as long as you keep it hidden, it'll just keep growing. But if you bring it out and you're open and you confess it and you're to say, hey, here it is. Here's my struggle, guys. Keep me accountable. You know, we're going to love you just as much. Amen? We're going to pray for you, hold you. We're going to love you. And then lastly, that sin must be removed from the camp. It should not be taken lightly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, I pray for those who are here tonight, no doubt in the room this size, there's got to be some, if not many, Lord, who have hidden sin in their life, things that they think nobody else knows about. And Lord, maybe nobody else on this earth does, but you do. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a time of starting on that road to refreshment, walking away from the dryness that comes from hidden sin, walking away from the dryness that comes from taking your word lightly, the dryness that comes, Lord, from having confidence in ourselves. Lord, may we come to a place of brokenness and desperation for you, a place, Lord, where we say, Lord, I don't want this sin in my life anymore. Lord, help me. Lord, I know that's a prayer that you will answer. Lord, I 
thank you for your word. It says if we confess you before men, you'll confess us before your Father in heaven. And Lord, at the same time, Lord, for those who are here and struggling, Lord, I pray that they would not be worried about what men think right now, but only have one thought, getting right with you, walking out here in the center of your will. Lord, putting those things behind them. So that's your heart tonight. You're here, heads bowed, and it's your desire to say, Lord, this sin's been a while. You know what it is. I'm tired of playing games with it. I'm tired of having it in my life. Lord, I want to get this right before you. I want to leave here, Lord, again on that road to refreshment, putting your spirit back in, the, in control of my life instead of my will. If that's your heart, I want to, you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless all of you with your hands up. God bless you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you see these hands that are up. And Lord, you know the details. Father, we don't even need to know. You know. But Father, I thank you for their hearts and their desire, Lord, to openly confess that there's an area in their life that needs to change. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that even now, as they come with confessing hearts, first, Lord, you would forgive them completely. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, as you have forgiven them, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them to keep their eyes on you. Lord, that when the temptation comes and you make the way of escape, that they would take the way of escape. Father, if there's things in their home or things that, they're, that are causing them to sin that need to, be, they need to get rid of, Lord, I pray they'd even go to another brother or sister and say, I've got this and I want to give it to you. Get it out of my house. Take it away from my home. Whatever it might be, Lord. Father, I pray that we'd be transparent enough with one another to hold each other accountable without gossiping, Lord. Father, we could come to each other and say, I'm struggling, will you pray for me? And Lord, that we would not tear one another down, but Lord, we would hold up each other's hands. Lord, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for the text tonight. I know, Lord, you want to do a work in every heart. Father, begin with mine, and Lord, just transform us all, Lord, more into your image. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.